Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best internet minds in the business. Now, here are your hosts, internet brand strategist Sandra Beck. Sandra Beck, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Angela Breidenbach. Now, I'm getting some nasty reverb. Can you guys hear that? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Well, then I'm going to put the mic right over to uh, Angela Breidenbach to introduce herself to our listeners today. And then we're going to welcome Kathy Eide. Now, you're going to want to look at her website, Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y-I-D-E, Eide like Tide, KathyEide.com, because we're going to talk about proofreading and editing today. And Angela, I went to Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism. And the one class that I hated, 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 really hated was editing and proofreading. So I'm so glad that somebody like Kathy Eide exists. <laughs> you hated that? Yeah. Oh, my God. I hated it. I hated spelling. I can't spell worth a lick. You know what? I think the thing is that we think about um, proofreading and editing and things like that as as work. But instead, as authors, we need to think of them as art. And so if you were painting a, a portrait, let's say, um, you're to do the plot, which we talked about in our last uh, episode, you really create a skeleton. And then as you're creating this beautiful portrait of, let's say it's a gorgeous 19th century woman, what we're going to do is paint in her her foundation or her skeleton, you know, and then we're going to put over that the expected shape of her facial features, the expected shape of her muscles, her arms, her body. And then in that, we're going to fine tune it. And this is where editing and proofreading and all that stuff comes in is in the fine tuning. And one of the worst things is when you're writing a book and you're, and you forget what color your character's eyes are and halfway through the book, they change from green to blue. And then, um, toward the end, they're brown. Well, this is the fine tuning of an editor and a proofreader. And we want to make sure that that eye color stays the same through the whole thing. But we're also going to take that little fine bit of light, right? And we're going to add a little bit dimension and shape to it. And that's where I want to liken writing a novel to painting a portrait or even sculpting a great piece of art like, you know, David, you know, something like that. They didn't just chunk it out. They got down, they fine-tuned it, and at the end, they took a little brush and they brushed away the dust. And that, to me, is the most beautiful visual of what editing and proofreading can do for a novel. And one of my favorite people that, oh, you asked me to say, my name's Angela Breidenbach, by the way, I just started talking. (laughs) And I'm the president of the Christian Authors Network, and I write historical romance, contemporary romance, nonfiction, and I do some um, journalistic uh, magazine articles or newspaper articles and a lot of blogging and things like this. Um, I love to speak and teach people not only just how to write, but how to have a richer life. And I love it to teach women how to live as a grace under pressure woman who can speak out with confidence, courage, and candor. And one of the people that I think is a wonderful grace under pressure woman, and she's also a Christian Authors Network author, is Kathy Eide. 
And she has written books and articles and short stories, devotionals and curriculum, very much like, you know, what I've done. I think writers write. And, but she has the additional ability of being a fantastic editor and proofreader. She's a full-time freelance editor, proofreader, and mentor for new writers. She's established authors and book publishers with her business. She's just done wonderful things. She's the founder and coordinator of Christian Pen Proofreaders and Editors Network and the Christian Editors Network. And the newest thing in her life, and I just want Kathy to be able to tell us for a minute about this, is that she has just become the new conference director for Mount Hermon. And we mentioned that on an earlier episode as well, going to conferences and why they're important. So please welcome Kathy Ide, and you can find her at kathyide.com. Well, thank you Hi, so Kathy. much, Angela. Um, I love that that uh, description of editing and proofreading. That's That's much more poetic than what I usually say about it. <laughs> Oh, oh my God! I'm just it. gonna jump it. in it's here because when you said it's like art, I'm like, yeah, it's like somebody just slashed my writing and my writing bled all over the page because all this stuff brings back all my Northwestern days of the red editing pen, and it looked like somebody just, you know, gashed my paper to death. And I think a lot of us have that kind of red pen anxiety. I mean, I don't know, Kathy, do you ever come across people like to me, editing's like going to the dentist. Oh, all the time. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, because basically you're taking your baby to somebody who is, it's their job to tell you what's wrong with your baby. Um, right. And, you know, here's what you need to do because your baby's not perfect. You think your baby's perfect, but your baby's not perfect. And here are all the things that you need to do. Um, but if you think about, you know, taking your baby to the doctor, nobody wants to do that. Take your baby to the dentist. Nobody wants to do that. But you do it because you know that the doctor and the dentist can help make your baby even healthier and, and, and maybe spot some things that need to be fixed. Um, and, and that's important. You know, obviously that allegory, you know, doesn't fit every, <laughs> every nuance. But, um, but it is hard. It's, it's hard to take something that you have poured so much time and effort into and, and intentionally show it to somebody and even pay somebody to tell you that you need to do more work on it than you've already done. You know what? But, I want to add something to that too. Because Kathy, yeah. think about it this way. You just described places where you don't really like taking your baby. But where do people not like seeing a baby? And let's think about this in a way that um, when you go to a movie and a baby starts to cry, when you go to a restaurant and you're sitting right next to somebody in a restaurant and they won't, you know, their baby is crying and crying and crying. Now, realize I'm saying this as a mother of six and four of those were my natural children, two stepchildren. And some of those kids, then they kind of grow up and as they're getting into elementary school and things like this and they have sibling rivalry and they right. Well, when we look at our baby, just like Kathy said, we think that baby is perfect and beautiful and miraculous. And guess what? It is. That baby has been created. But there are moments when they defy logic and they cry or they argue in public and they do things that um, other people really don't want to be around. That's seeing your baby from a reader's point of view, right? Yes, exactly. And, and you know... The baby is, is beautiful and wonderful and perfect and miraculous, but as its parent, it's your job to sometimes be tough. You know, you can't I love just, you. you know, love on them and, and that's it. Part of loving on them is loving them enough to correct them, to change things when things are wrong, 
to just do your best to make sure that that child grows up to be the healthiest uh, adult physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so that's a good analogy, too, I think, is, is to whether you're doing it yourself. And, and I think it takes a village to raise a child. Um, it takes a village to write a book, too. You know, you can, you can write your book, but you really need to have critique partners or editors or, you know, people who can help you, who can see maybe your blind spots, who can see things about your baby that you can't see because you're so close to it. Well, and we're not talking about calling your baby ugly here. We're talking about putting one of those little rubber helmets you see the babies, you know, running (laughs) around with today or, you know, (laughs) things like that. You know, I just have to get over my revulsion of the word editing. And, you know, that's why, Kathy, you're here and Angela, you're here because you guys make it sound so good. No wonder you guys (laughs) are romance writers and, you know, inspiration (laughs) writers. I'm like the bloody gashed manuscript writer over here. But, you know, it's fun because we, we are all are all shapes and kinds and we can really learn from each other i think it's the most beautiful thing in the world to have somebody like kathy you know come alongside you and gently tell you oh you know if you could switch the words in this sentence it's going to be more powerful (laughs) right and it's and and to say did you know oh i had somebody proofread my book and it was so i'm so glad she did because um you know i I don't know why I wrote it, and it didn't get picked up because the spelling was correct according to the word, but wrought iron, you know, Mm. the words wrought iron. Well, in my original uh, rough draft, I wrote rod, R-O-D. Well, that's not Mm. how you spell wrought iron. Thank God this person was able to read and uh, catch that silly, you know, faux pas of mine because it didn't even click in my head because it wasn't picked up by a word you know, document doing a a spell check. Exactly. Well, and the continuity. Oh, go ahead, Kathy. I just wanted to say something really quick about continuity. You know, in the movies, I come from a movie background and like the film Twister with continuity errors, you talked about the blue, green, brown eyes, you know, like when they drove in Twister, they drove their big red pickup truck through the side of a house. They had a cracked windshield. The next windshield uh, scene, the windshield was perfect. And, you know, we put these things up on YouTube and everybody laughs at the movie. They're mortifying. Um, But it happens in print, too. Absolutely. And, and it's really hard to find the mistakes in your own writing. Um, even if it's just, even if it's something you know, it, you know, Angela knows how to spell wrought iron. Yep. <laughs> it just didn't end up that way. And every time she read it, her mind read it the way it expected it to be. And so that's another reason it's really important to get somebody else to take a look at your writing and catch those things that you can't see in it yourself. Yeah, and, and I think and that's really Angela also important. pointed out a, a difference between editing and, and proofreading. Um, editing is where you're taking, you know, the concepts and, and overall saying, you know, I, I think this sentence would be better at the end of the paragraph, or I think this scene might be better if you switched it, or you really need to develop that character a little bit more. Those are the, the editing kind of things. The proofreading is just catching those rod iron instead of wrought iron, um, you know, catching the typos and the inconsistencies like the blue eyes and the brown eyes, uh, catching the, um, and, and, you know, the broken truck windshield, um, and catching, you know, spelling, usage, punctuation, grammar, those kinds of things. That's the proofreading. And, and uh, it's really important to get both, you know, because a lot of readers know how to spell, 
um, and no grammar and no punctuation. Um, you know, and, and they may not know it as well as maybe an editor or a proofreader, but they'll know if something's not right. And if something's even just not punctuated correctly, it can change the meaning of the sentence. Oh, yes, it can. <laughs> you know what, girls? i got to take us to commercial break. This is Coach Talk Radio. We're visiting today with Kathy Ide. That's Ide like Tide, I-D-E. You can check her out at kathyide.com. That's Kathy with a K. You can also go to Angela Breidenbach and find her books, her blogs, her writings, her musings. She's got a whole bunch of stuff on her site there, so you're going to want to check that out. This is Coach Talk Radio. I am your host today, Sandra Beck. Hey, go to sandrabeck.com. Why don't I plug myself today? Um, <laughs> Why not? Right? It's all good. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about proofreading and editing, and I probably will make a few more ugly baby jokes. We'll be back after the break. in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where every spring we seem to get pummeled with hailstorms. What's another name for a thunderstorm? A cockeyed bob. The Guinness Book of World Records states the largest known hailstone in U.S. history was over 7 inches in diameter. That's almost the size of a soccer ball. The famous hailstone was found in central Nebraska in June 2003. But if we think the hail's bad here in Texas, I guess it's better than living in parts of Africa, where they average 130 days of hailstorms each year. Other hail-prone areas include India, Russia, China, and Italy. The Aussies call hailstones, drift ice, glazed frost, pancake ice, and frost flowers. I wonder how they measured hail before the invention of the golf ball. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Nuts have been known as the forbidden food if you're trying to lose weight. But excluding nuts from your daily diet is not the wisest choice. A serving of nuts, about an ounce, has around 200 calories. But nuts are packed with antioxidants. They promote overall heart health and reduce inflammation with omega-3 fatty acids. I love roasted almonds, and I eat about 12 of them most days for a snack. They are extremely satisfying and keep hunger away. Another way that I incorporate nuts is by spreading two tablespoons of peanut butter or almond butter on a low-fat, multigrain English muffin for breakfast. By keeping your calories low and your protein, nutrition, and satisfaction high, you'll be on the road to losing weight and feeling great. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Taking 
Hey, guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and this is the fifth in our writing series with Angela Breidenbach. You can find us on Coach Talk Radio Show. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on toginet.com. That's T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com. Coach Talk Radio is the name of the game, and we are visiting today with Kathy Eide. Now, she is, uh, she's got a bunch of different book services, but one of the things we want to talk about is she does have her own book about editing and proofreading. And Kathy, what is the title? Where can we buy it? And what is the book about? Uh, the title is Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors. Uh, it's available in you know all the usual places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, if you just look up Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors by Kathy Eide, you'll find it. Um, and it's, it's about how authors can proofread their manuscripts to catch typos, inconsistencies, inaccuracies, as well as punctuation, usage, grammar, and spelling according to the industry standard guidelines. Um, Book publishers and magazine publishers use specific style guides, and those style guides can be long and confusing. And um, in the case of the book publishing, uh, the uh, industry standard is the Chicago Manual of Style, and it's written by college professors, and they write like college professors. (laughs) So it's kind of hard <laughs> That's to the biggest it's thing I, hard to I try to tell people is don't write collegiate. <laughs> yes, exactly. But that's, you know, that's what it is. And so over over the, the first years that I was doing proofreading and editing, I was studying that book and asking all my friends who were editors and proofreaders, what in the world does this mean? You know, how does this apply? And so I ended up starting a cheat sheet, which eventually became a book, um, on the most common rules from that Chicago Manual of Style that writers need to know and and that writers struggle with. And uh, then I also looked at what are the differences between that and the um, Associated Press style book, which is what your newspapers and journalistic style magazines follow. And there are a few differences between the two. So I point that out in Proofreading Secrets of Bestselling Authors, what those rules are, when it's different for magazines that are journalistic style and and newspapers versus uh, book guidelines okay and then i want to break in here for one second because i want everybody to catch what she just said so kathy (laughs) i proofreading secrets of best-selling authors there's a woman on the front cover and she's and she's partially showing it's just her finger against her lips but let me tell you why this is such a good deal the reason that you want a book like this is that she translates collegiate technical writing into plain english okay now you can keep talking kathy Absolutely. <laughs> and I did that because I needed it for me, but I also found that a lot of my writer and editor friends needed that too. And so I put, I put the, the material on punctuation, usage, grammar, and spelling in an order that made sense to me that's easy to find, and then also used plain English to explain the rule and plain English examples um, that writers would come across and, and use that. And uh, then... In addition to that, I added a section of actual tips from real best-selling authors that I have come to know over the years on how they proofread for typos, um, how you find those rod iron instead of wrought iron kind of things. Um, you know, how, how you find, you know, the blue eyes in Chapter 1 and the brown eyes in Chapter 5. Um, you know, so there's, there's a whole section of, of, you know, tips for how readers can proofread for those kinds of things. 
you want to share a couple of those tips so that it kind of helps? Um, I'd like, I'd love to hear a few of your tips, but I'd also love to hear um, what you think would be a logical plan of attack for an author. Well, the proofreading is kind of the last stage. You want to proofread everything that you send out, whether you're self-publishing your book or if you're sending something to an agent or a publishing house. You want to make sure that it's as polished as it can be um, because you just don't want to have any mistakes in there that are going to reflect on you, that are going to make people think, well, you know, wow, she didn't even know where to use the comma. How do I, you know, trust anything else she's written? Um, so first you want to write your manuscript, and writing is from the heart, it's from that creative right side of the brain. Then you want to go through and edit, which is that left side of the brain that analyzes everything. And then once you've got your manuscript, and, and even at that point you might need to have some help from other people, but after you've got your manuscript, the best you can make it content-wise, then you really want to go through the manuscript, through a proposal, through a query letter, through an email, through everything that you're going to send out, and make sure to catch the typos and the errors in punctuation, usage, grammar, and spelling. And one of the tips that I have heard most often from the best-selling authors I know is to read out loud, not just in your head. Um, as mm-hmm. you read out loud, you read slow, more slowly, and so you catch more things. And to print out your manuscript. Yeah, I know that costs money and it costs time. Um, <laughs> But if you print it out, there's some, you're, the human mind just reads things differently when it's in print than when it's on a screen. So and there's ways to do of- that inexpensively, by the way. Here's a tip. Um, you can put it your, your document landscape, and then you can put it in two columns, and you can do it front and back. And to me, yeah. that is a great way because then it also – you can – make it kind of look more like you're, you know, how you read down one page and then you sure. read the next page. It it yeah. also helps you in reading it that way. But when you're reading it out loud, not only are you going to catch some of these um, proofreading and editing things um, on your own before you send it off to an editor or a proofreader, which saves you money, right? But yep, you're absolutely. also going to be able to listen for cadence or the musicality in the words. And that yeah. is an art in itself. And that comes in with... Um, like the rhetorical device and special ways of adding in emotion, backloading your words and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So how how might an editor work on um, helping an author with their cadence or the musicality? Um, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> um, and, and <laughs> well, while well, you think of your answer, I'm going to jump in really quick because for those yes, of uh, the audience members that don't know this, I own a technology company of women that work from home in the tech fields. And one of the things that we do is we use, and again, Brother has not paid for this, but we use Brother printers. I've been doing this 20 years and I probably have seven or eight Brother printers, Little Brothers, Big Brothers, Laser Brothers. Uh, one of the things that I find is that you can buy factory refurbished Brother cartridges for to keep your toner cost down and these little brothers are workhorses and we go through the drums time after time because we print so many manuscripts out over here we print so much coding out over here so if you're looking to invest in something brother is the way to go uh and kathy go ahead and pick up i just wanted to jump in and share that because everybody looks and goes i don't know what to buy when they walk in or they go to amazon and look at reviews and i'm going to tell you for manuscript printing double-sided a big brother or a little brother is the way to go that is fantastic i, I agree tip. with you wow and also you can I, trick I your font. I had a brother printer for years and years and years and absolutely loved it. And then when I 
to replace it, I replaced it with a different brand, and I kind of wish I'd gone with brother again. <laughs> they are, and I love my little brother, and I have my big brother. I have big laser ones and little, you know, desktop ones, and they just, they're the bomb. They don't die. Oh, man, that is That's such funny. a great tip because, you know, some of the things about this do come into play with how do you set up your office, and that is a great tip. But when you're doing your printing, too, you can print it. Um, what I do is I make a, a copy of that document. I make a whole new document. So I leave my, you know, whatever the guidelines is that I'm going to send that off to that editor, that publisher, that agent, whatever. I leave that alone. And then I make a copy or a duplicate. And I actually change the file name on that document. And I make it whatever, you know, this is proofreading copy. Or I, I tell myself what that file is. And that way I don't mix them up and accidentally attach the wrong one if I'm emailing yeah. it. Because there's so yeah. much that's done by email now. But I also yeah. then can shrink my font and I can go to single space. I can go to landscape and I can go to uh-huh. two columns. And I've just cut my cost on both paper and ink way, 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 way down. And then I can use colored markers and highlighters and, you know, things like this so that I can catch myself and I can bring up the original document and I can change it right as I'm working through it. It's kind of cool. But okay, Kathy, back to you. Well, and and highlighting actually is a great way of, to get back to the um, question that you asked, of of at the character's dialogue, looking at the cadence, looking at the musicality of it. Um, if you go through your manuscript, you print it, or on, on the screen, you can highlight there too. If you print it out and you highlight each character's lines of dialogue, for example, and then read just that character's dialogue. So, you know, you've got the, you know, all the ones that are in blue, that's Joe's dialogue, and all the pink is Jane's dialogue. If you go through and read, you will find where you have written John's dialogue that just does not sound like John. You know, there's a line in there that just, you go, wait, that, no, that sounds more like Jane. That, you know, that's not the way John would talk. It's not the way, you know, not something he would say. And uh, then you can do the same for Jane. And, and you can also then find out, especially if you're reading out loud, you can see where maybe two or three or more characters all kind of sound alike. <laughs> and they each need to have their own voice, their own unique way of speaking. So that's a good way to catch those things. That was one of the um, – I was reading some of the reviews of Girl on a Train. And that was one of the biggest problems they felt like with that book. They thought the plot was fantastic. They thought the idea was fantastic. But they didn't like how s- several of the first-person characters – and this was repeated over and over by several different reviewers – that mm-hmm. said, you know, these voices sound too much alike. And, yeah. you know, I want to excuse the author on that because I think per- part of it is author voice. But part of it is mm-hmm. that – this was such an in-the-head story for the primary character yes. that it yes. it was really interesting. Yeah. And so, even, so basically the narrator of the story um, was, it was all her voice. Right. Even when, when scenes were in someone else's point of view, it was all from her perspective. And I think that's right. kind of probably why all the characters, but yeah, readers of novels especially really want to make sure that each character is distinct. And, and even if you have multiple first-person point-of-view characters, it should be clear from the first line of dialogue or even the first line in the character's thoughts which character it is just based on how how the, the terminology comes out, how the semantics come out, what kinds of words and phrases, how it's said. 
Okay, we're visiting with Kathy Ide. Check her out at Kathy Ide, K-A-T-H-Y-I-D-E dot com. Angela Breidenbach and Sandra Beck of Coach Talk Radio will be back after the break. And we're going to talk about point of view, first person and third person, because I hear that gets mixed up a lot. We'll be back after the break. drive on a street named Cemetery Hill, which makes me wonder who got to name these streets anyway. Whoever named Psychopath Road in Michigan, for example, must have been off his cursive. I mean, who would ever want that for a mailing address? In Alabama, there is a This Ain't It Road. I guess this is where a lot of lost drivers end up. Personally, I would like to live on Slim Bottoms Road in Mount Vernon, New York, even though some might say that would constitute a bit of a teradiddle. That's a little white lie. So what do you call the business of naming things? Onomastics. Finally, there's Little Schmuck Road in Indiana and Cannibal Road in California. I'm sure that keeps people from trespassing. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. According to Fitness Magazine, the majority of us are getting enough protein. Most nutritionists agree that active women need about half a gram per pound a day, or approximately 65 grams for a 130-pound woman. The USDA reports that most of us, even vegetarians, are eating 69 grams of protein daily, so we are good. If you are as active as recommended and exercise for more than an hour, five or more days a week, you should increase your protein intake to 0.75 grams per pound. Eating protein within 30 to 45 minutes after you work out rebuilds and repairs the micro tears in muscle tissue that occurs when you exercise. Taking in protein right after you work out will make you feel less sore the next day and increases your lean muscle mass. I'm Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. It's all mine. Taking care of business. Working overtime. Woo. Taking care of business. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach and this is Coach Talk Radio and today we are in the fifth of our series on uh, our writer series and we're talking today about editing and proofreading and if you're interested we have shows on plots and subplots, we've got shows on avoiding rejection conferences and um, gosh just a whole bunch of things and each episode is filled not only with great interviews and helpful information but resources that you can use. Now we're going to talk about point of view or voice, um, you know, third person, first person. 
I hear those terms used all the time, and I bet a lot of people goof these things up. God knows I have. Uh, so I'd love to talk to you, Angela and Kathy, about point of view, first person, third person. And I'd like Kathy to talk about the common mistake usages, and I'd like Angela to go first and explain to us what is first person or third person or, you know, what does that really mean? Okay. Thank you. That's a really fun idea. So first person is I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. And (laughs) second person is you, you, your, um, that kind of a, the way that you actually write in. Okay. I just did second person the way you actually write. So then third person is talking about he, she, they, there. And the way to do it when you're doing it as a character is, I love this description. It was given to me years ago, and I could not even tell you by who. But you put a video camera that has a microphone, so you're doing audio-visual at the same time, on your character's nose. Think of it as the red clown nose because it's a visual that you can see, right? And everywhere that that camera points is only what your character character can see, hear, feel, and experience. And it doesn't matter if you're in first person or third person, the camera's still on the nose. The difference then is when you get into um, stylistically, are you going to write it um, omni, omni, um, Kathy, what's the word? Omniscient. <laughs> um, when you, you've got the omnipresent character. And mm-hmm. so it's like the godlike narrator. And so that's a, it's a really important distinction to understand because that's the, a very old style that sometimes comes into play, but has to be done extremely well. And it is something you might have read at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, it's definitely not something that is commonly done now. So you are, you're always in your character's point of view. And when you slide POV, it's called head hopping. So if you're in a romantic situation and she's thinking about how strong his arms are and what an awesome man he was to rescue her from the, the clutches of the alligator teeth before he could bite her, you know, then we can't have the fellow come in and say, isn't she beautiful? I just love the way the scent of her hair tickles my nostrils. Because now you've slid in POV or point of view and you've head hopped. And so that is really important. And another important element of it is deep POV or getting deep into the point of view where you might go into first person because you're in internal thoughts. And with that, I hope it made sense camera on your nose that picks up everything they they think, see, hear, taste, feel, or experience, but you cannot trade cameras to the other character's nose in the same scene. Okay, Kathy, your turn. Great description, Angela. That That's fabulous. And, and uh, I, I've heard the same analogy, although I think I heard it as, as the camera's actually in their head, because it's not just what they see externally, but it's also what they're thinking, how they're feeling, those kinds of things. But yeah, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. And it is very difficult to write as a new author to write in first person for your characters. Um, and part of that is just because 
most of your sentences will start with I. I did this, I did that, I did this, then this happened to me, then that happened to me. And if you've ever had a conversation with someone who has I and me in every other sentence, um, that can kind of get annoying after a while. So I usually recommend to new writers that you stick with a third person, he, she. You know, he did this and then she did that. Um, and But definitely stay within that point of view character for the, the duration of a scene. And then if you want to, then in the next scene, switch to a different character's point of view. You have that little scene break, and then you start in that other character's point of view, and you stay in that character's point of view for the duration of that scene. And uh, that's one thing that editors catch quite often. Um, I do mm-hmm. in, in the manuscripts I edit, I know, um, because you, you're, you've got this, this woman, and like you say, maybe, you know, she's just, you know, really, you know, enjoying being in the arms of this man who's just rescued her, and she talks about her, her beautiful blue eyes. Well, she's probably not thinking about her own beautiful blue eyes right there. Um, right. And, you know, or, or her cheeks turned red. Well, she can't see her own cheeks turning red. So those are the kinds of things that you want to catch in your writing or that an editor will catch in your writing. And if you want to share that her cheeks turned red and you're in that um, heroine's point of view, that's when it's how does she feel it or experience it. It's a way to fix yes. it. So it's right. something like... Um, uh, she felt the heat, you know, rush into her cheeks or her lips right. tingled, you know, so, yes. so so it's an actual visceral or physical feeling. That's a way exactly. that you can put that in. And another issue that often comes up with point of view is when you're writing your first draft, you might write, she was angry, she was mad, she was disappointed, um, she felt... Uh you know, some, yeah. some emotion. When you're going through the editing process, look at those times where you've identified an emotion by name and instead show what the character's thinking and what kind of physical responses the character has that can show that character's emotions rather than just telling the reader that that's how the character felt. Yeah, but when you're showing it in thinking, don't use the word thought, Correct. Don't yes, use the word correct. she felt, you know. Yes. Um, how do you, how, I, I know how I do it, but I want to hear how you do it because we always <laughs> learn in this process. So tell me well, how you would help an author get rid of she felt, she thought. Well, for one thing, just do that search for those words. <laughs> she thought, she felt, it seemed. Uh, those are all words that indicate, oh, you've, you're telling here instead of showing. And when you're in, as you said, deep POV, you realize that everything that you show in the narrative is something that character is thinking or feeling. And so you don't have to say she thought such and such. Just show her thoughts. You don't have to say she felt as if this. Just write what she thought. And uh, so if you can go back to a time when you felt a particular thing, despair or anger or whatever emotion you're going through um, in that, think about what physical things you experienced during that time. Think about the thoughts that came to your mind. And if you just put the thoughts, don't say she thought this, just show what she thought. Say he is so handsome. You don't need she thought because we know that those are in her thoughts because we're in her point of view. You know, that's another really good point is, um, is understanding the kind of verbiage that she uses in her dialogue or the character uses in their dialogue. If you're doing deep POV, uh, an editor can help you understand when they're going outside of character. Uh, 
um, yeah. and they wouldn't say those things. So then why would they think those things if that's not the way they right. would put their words together? So I think an editor is really good at that. And I'm going to toss in wondered. She, he wondered. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't wonder. Yeah, <laughs> same thing. Anytime, anytime you see those words and, and where it says it seemed like. Look at that and go, okay, well, what did the character observe that made it seem that way to her or to him? Instead of saying right. it seemed like he was embarrassed. Well, you know, made you I love that you said it seemed like because it is a red flag word for me. I oh, had yes. a um, wonderful critique partner for several years, and every time I used the word it at the beginning <laughs> of a sentence, like it was or yes. it is, yes. she would look at me and she'd go, yes. what is it? <laughs> yep. Well, and that's, that's, a, that's a double-edged problem with, with it was or it is, because not only do you have a pronoun that has no antecedent, you have a passive verb right after it. So, yeah, it is and it was. You look for sentences that start with that and reword those. There there are very few instances where that's okay. Okay, you just said the word passive, and I get asked this a lot. And I can teach it, but I'd like to be better at teaching it. How would you help an author overcome passive writing? Angela, what do you think? Well, that was me asking you. Okay. Oh, you were asking. I, I couldn't tell. Um, the, well, we've now become the same person after five shows, Angela. We've morphed, and we've no longer retained our original voices or identity. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot Sandra was taking a nap during this segment. Um, I'm writing everything down because this is, this is gold. Well, I would be right. honored to be considered Sandra, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, if I were to there, say there are, passive, though, what would you yes, say there, you would see? Well, the, there are obvious um, red flags, which is the words was and were or is and are, um, in especially in the narrative rather than the dialogue, um, exactly. where if you say something was something, then you're telling the reader. It's very passive. There's nothing going on. There's no action. It was warm outside. Okay, you're just telling somebody that it was warm outside. Um, they were. How would down you the fix that? Just take that because I know we're running out of time in this segment. So, how would you fix it was warm outside? Instead of saying it was warm outside, show what the character does. She walked outside and took off her sweater. Why would she do ah. that? It's warm outside. Um, or if she felt sweat, you know, form on her brow, things like that. There, there are, you know, show the character's reaction to something rather than just tell that it exists. I think that's a perfect way to segue into the the next segment because we have so much coming up and I'm all very excited about this and it's really fun to have um, Kathy's point of view of this <laughs> experience and, and her expertise in it. So, um, Sandra, what do you think? Well, it explains a lot of why my manuscript like bleeds all over the paste with like <laughs> red ink, red pen things. I mean, these are things I think everybody, seasoned writer or new writer, can can be mindful of because they are so common and they can just slip in. And with search and replace, we can really use the computer's technology to help make our writing even stronger just by searching what is, it is, it was. Like that was really powerful for me. Um, I need to take us to commercial break. We are visiting. 
visiting today with Kathy I. That's uh, K-I-T-H-Y-I-D-E, or is it C? Did I blow that? No, you got it right. Okay. I got it right. All right. I'm like, gosh, I'm so nervous because she's an editor and proofreader. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't get it right. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more with Kathy Ide and Angela Breidenbach about common mistakes we make in our own writing. We'll be back after the break. walked into a room on a mission to get something and totally forgot what you went in there for? I do it all the time, which makes me feel like a total civ head, as the Brits would say. Some might blame it on old age, but a recent study reported in the Quarterly Journal of Experimental Psychology suggests the simple act of passing through a doorway causes memory lapses. It appears the brain regards a doorway as an event boundary and effectively files away whatever you were thinking about as soon as you step through. What's a word for the feeling your thoughts are being stolen? Nucleptia. So, what's the solution? Try carrying an object that reminds you of the task. For example, if you go into another room to get a pair of scissors, carry the object you want to cut. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When it comes to your health, it's important to stay on top of your numbers. You need to know what your cholesterol numbers are, along with your blood sugar and blood pressure. Another number that's vital to be aware of is your waist circumference. Abdominal fat not only looks bad, but more importantly, it is criminal because it may release excess fatty acids or hormones that encourage inflammation, which are dangerous to your arteries. The fatty acids can contribute to insulin problems and plaque buildup. Keeping excess body fat at a minimum is important, but it's essential to keep fat off of your belly. Measure your waist circumference and be sure it's below 35 inches. Be diligent to exercise daily and eat good, healthy, low-fat foods to keep all excess body fat at bay. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach and Kathy Ide, and we're talking about common mistakes writers make. And I don't care if you're beginning or, um, you know, a seasoned writer, we can all catch something from, you know, these segments. I know I'm like passive, active, what is, what is, it is. I mean, you know, it's so helpful, you know, for me, and I went to journalism school. It's not like I'm unfamiliar with this stuff, but it's very different when you're writing your own manuscript. And that's why, you know, we talked about earlier, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I think it takes a village to knock one of these books out and have them really worth reading. I would completely agree. And this is Angela, in case you're getting Sandra and I mixed up. (laughs) I think one of the things that's really crucial about writing is that you just write the story first. And you'll hear that from 
every single author that is a, a someone who puts out a lot of work. They just get the story down. And then you go back yourself and you rework it to make sure it's in the logical order and it's what you want to say and you cut words and you cut words and you cut words and I don't think I can say that enough because that's where a lot of your cadence and musicality comes from is when you tighten, tighten, tighten and then you realize, oh my gosh, if I flip this sentence backwards compared to what it's written right now, all of a sudden it sounds better and it's more clear. That's a big tip for, for from me to anybody out there. Um, sometimes flip your sentences and definitely see how that can not only tighten and get rid of, like the word of, the word of, the that word can be in the middle of a phrase. And if you flip it, you've gone from three words down to one or two, you know, and so flipping phrases, flipping sentences uh, can really help you to tighten, tighten, tighten. But something that um, happened over the break that was really, really cute was Sandra apologized for stumbling because she got nervous and Kathy said, do you judge when people send you um, an email? Do you do you edit their emails, Kathy? Well, you know, I get a lot of emails from people who say that they were afraid to email me because they were, they didn't, they weren't comfortable that there might be typos or, or punctuation problems or, or grammar errors, and, and they know I'm an editor, and they were afraid I was going to edit their email. And I just tell people, you know, I, I will only edit your email if you pay me to do that. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a professional editor. I don't edit people's grammar for free. Um, you know, and I mean, if you ask me to, if you ask me, you know, it's not, I don't need to get paid for everything I do. If you send me a sentence, I'll probably let you know, you know, if there's something wrong with it, if you ask me to. But, you know, I don't go around analyzing what everybody emails me or, you know, everybody's, you know, verbal grammar or even their blog posts. I'll notice on a blog post, but I'm not necessarily going to judge you because there was a typo or a punctuation, you know, or a misspelled word in your blog Thank or your you. email. Thank you for that freedom because you actually used the word that I want to hit on and that was judge and judgment. Yes. And one of the things as an as an author, the reason we get terrified of putting our babies out there is that we're afraid we're going to get judged. We're going to get judged on the content. We're going to get judged on our skill or our craft. Um, somebody else is always going to be better. Well, I hope somebody else is always going to be better because if they're not, I don't have anybody to read to get better myself. And I think it's really important as authors that we realize just because somebody's in a position and they have an opportunity to assist you, maybe you're going to pay them for the work like you would do for an editor or a proofreader or something like that, doesn't mean that they're judging you or your heart. That doesn't mean they're exactly. judging you as a person. They're helping you yeah. to hone and to craft and to get better. And if you don't want to get better, get out of the business. Well, and I'm going to share something that my Northwestern journalism professors used to tell me is that if you walk out of the bathroom with under uh, with paper sticking out of your underpants, <laughs> then you expect people to say, hey, you got toilet paper sticking out. It's the same thing. Either yeah. you want to know about the toilet paper or you don't. That's right. Well, and if and, we get so defensive and so protective and so yeah. terrified of being judged that we can't give our work to someone who's going to help us to polish it, then we are not in this in this business for the right reasons. And we're not going to have good partnerships and good networking abilities within the industry as well. This is about building our careers. 
not about hiding because we are just so terrified of being judged. So there's my, smoke. there's my candor. <laughs> yeah. Well, or about blowing smoke, you know, people will come to me after being on my show and they're like, how did I do? And I won't say like, wow, you sucked. You're never coming back. I mean, I'll, I'll be nicer than that. But if people really want to get better, you got to take your lumps and you got to know it's nothing personal. Girls, when I first went on the air, especially on Military Mom Talk Radio, one of my sister shows, I had this lady on from the Pentagon and she said every question I answered, yes, not really. No, <laughs> it was brutal, wow. you know, 45 minutes of dead air and I'm scrambling and everybody's like over here going, say something, you know, yeah. Yeah. well, <laughs> think about that as an author, if you're writing a book or a novel or a nonfiction or even an article and your article is full of um, just, yep, no, uh-huh, maybe. How are you going to impart any type of interest or story or education? And so it's really important to get that down so that the story is there so that you can get someone else to polish it. And and just like if you don't have somebody else's words or I'm sorry, eyes on your words, then you're going to have rod instead of rot iron. And you don't notice it because in your head, there's something else. And in your head, there's a word on the page that, but it's not really there. It's actually missing. I have that happen all the time because I think too fast. I type too fast and I'll actually skip entire words and not realize it. Proofreaders, editors are crucial to me when they come back and go, what word was supposed to be there? Uh... Well, and, and new writers, especially if, you know, you had mentioned, you know, this is your career, this is, you know, something you're going to, there a, a lot of writers just think, you know, I just want to write one book. This isn't my career. You know, do I really need to get a, an editor or a proofreader? Do I really need to show my work? You know, can't I just, you know, do this? And I, I think, I think it depends on what your plans are. But, you know, even if you're just writing something for family and friends, don't you want it to express what you intended um, mm-hmm. and sometimes even like I said a comma in the wrong place can change the meaning of the sentence so I think even if you just want to just I just want to write one book and I just want to give it to family and friends or maybe you want to give it away to people because you have a message to share um, right. you know whether it's it's just that or you really do want to make this a career of, of writing I think it's just it's it's a question of you've poured yourself into this work you've created something and it is hard to say I mean, you do need that feedback of, this is great, I love it, don't change a thing. Um, You know, I mean, you kind of need that feedback from your mom, from your best friend, you know, those kinds of things. Encouraging words. Yes, you need the encouragement, absolutely, because writing is tough. Um, But then you Mm -hmm. also need to have that person who can see it with fresh eyes. And um, I... Every once in a while, I'll have somebody who says, you know, I really want you to edit this. Here's 50 bucks. Tell me what you think. And um, I'm thinking, okay, probably what they want to know is, yeah, this is great. Um, and I read an article uh, published by, I think it was the Writer's Magazine a uh, long time ago, the Writer Magazine. And it was, the title was, It's Terrific, I Love It, Now Change Everything. <laughs> and it was written by uh, an you're editor right. who said, if I love this. I'm going to see all these different ways that I think it could be just a little bit better here and a little bit better there, and it's gonna. I'm going to bleed all over the page. And I will tell you, Sandra, I don't use red. 
Yay! I, I, <laughs> I use blue and green and, you know, I use anything but red <laughs> because when I send something to somebody, I don't want them to have that red ink bleed all over the page feeling. Unfortunately, Panic with attack. track changes, it's more dependent on the recipient's settings than mine. <laughs> You know, I think it's a it's an important thing though to be aware that there is panic on the other side when it, is this yeah. going to come back and it's going to have all of this markings and markup and things like that. And when I've mentored or worked with somebody, in fact, I Sandra and I worked together a little bit ago, and um, I make sure I have a chance to talk to them because on my side of it, um, I don't want to hurt a heart. Um, yeah. I want to help that person get better, but sometimes they do get like super defensive and things like that over their work or their, their baby, this, this right, beautiful right. miraculous. Or they argue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't argue with me. Don't argue with the editor. Yeah. Don't argue with, you know, take it for what it's worth. At the end of the day, it's your manuscript. You have control over it. So don't waste my time or make me feel like I'm doing some great disservice because I told you what I think and you paid okay. me to tell you what I think. And here's here's where that comes in. It comes in in stewardship. So we're going to take this spiritual for a moment. If you're putting work out there and you want to represent a message from God, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or poetry or an article, um, maybe it's your testimony. If you put something out there um, and it's inspired by God, um, that's wonderful, but it still needs to be edited. It still needs to be polished. Moses did not run the entire campaign all on his lonesome. His father-in-law came to him and gave him words of wisdom, and he put people in place in the right areas so that he could do the job he was meant to do. And I think it's really important that we realize that it's a good stewardship over our talent to be able to develop it. And using an editor and a proofreader is part of that good stewardship. I'm so glad Kathy Eide was here with us today. I am so glad Kathy Eide was here today. Kathy, what's the name of your book? Proofreading Secrets of Best-Selling Authors. And where and do you, people get it? Oh, it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's in print and ebook. And And we want her to tell us for a second about Mount Hermon. Yes. Um, one way that you can learn whether you're a an aspiring writer, a brand new writer, intermediate or even advanced, one great way to learn the craft and hone your skills and make contacts in the industry is to attend a writer's conference. And uh, I happen to be the director of two writer's conferences. Um, uh, you only have a few seconds. One. Sorry? You have a few seconds. Okay, uh, there's a brand new one in uh, Southern California, SoCal Christian Writers Conference, and then in Northern California, kind of central in the uh, San Jose area, is the Mount Hermon. That's M-O-U-N-T-H-E-R-M-O-N. And both are uh, very different conferences, but both excellent places to go uh, wherever you're at in your writing. Well, I'm going to come see you, I think, at one or the other. This is Sandra Beck awesome. from Coach Talk Radio, and we are visiting today with Kathy Eide by her book. I'm going to get a copy because I know I'm going to read it. Angela Breidenbach, thank you for being my uh, host today on Series thank Number you. 5. We will be back again next week with another episode, and we're going to talk to an agent and talk about how to find the perfect agent for you. We'll see you next week. On behalf of Sandra Beck and Scott Frazier, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort to live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.